Yes, it's me, Mark Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. I'd like to welcome back to the Backseat Driver Radio Show, Andy Jones, a former guest who at the time was Mr Mercedes through and through, but how things change as we shall see as our conversation goes. Andy Jones, welcome back to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Hello Mark, good to be back. Now, unlike the previous occasion when we were sat in the comforts of Studio One, we're now sat in the comforts of uh, your home, which... As you know yourself, I've described to you as a living museum. The, the house is a homage to uh, the car, the train, the clock, Petrolonia, uh, and virtually anything else that's old and interesting. I mean, where did this passion for things old come from? I think I grew up with it, really. I just found old stuff more interesting than modern stuff. <laughs> and... Um... Once, once I was able to start going to car boot sales and that, which I have done for many years, sadly not for quite a few months this year, I just like looking for stuff and finding it. It's yeah. great. And I love the nostalgia of it all. Quite wonderful. I mean, the other thing is there's some fascinating things to be found. It's like the old road atlases and things like that. I mean, people thought nothing of them when they threw them out. Now they can't get enough of them because you can't find enough of them, can you? Well, what, 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 what the roads of England used to be like. I know you get you can date them by how few motorways are on them. Yeah, it's uh, yes, I love old atlases, things like that. They're great. Now the other thing, as I said, when when you first came on, you were Mister Mercedes Benz at the time. You had four of them: an SL, an E Class, a CL fifty five, which was the what you call the SL sports car, and uh, an AMG spec C Class of the uh, for to to give. Those listening and the precise idea, it was the same e, uh, C-Class estate that Formula One used as a medic car. So let's put it this way, and I've been fortunate enough to drive this, a seriously quick Mercedes-Benz that doesn't look anything unusual. It's the perfect Q car. I mean, what got you into Mercedes-Benz to start with? Then we'll ask you what got you back out of Mercedes-Benz. Well, I've still got one. I've no plans to not have one. But um, I bought, um, it was the old W123 that I knew someone had got one. And it was for sale. It'd done a lot of miles and it'd been sat for about 10 years. So I bought that and I thought, this is nice. Completely different than anything else I'd had. Um, needed a bit of body work doing, but we got that sorted. Um, and I went through a 124. That was very good. And um, then I went on to, uh, I think it was the E-Class. Mm. Yes. Sold that later and bought it back again. Mm. And I've recently sold it again. <laughs> so I owned it twice. Nothing wrong with it. just wasn't using it, really. Um, but it, the thing that got me... Not, I'm not out of Mercedes, because I still love the C32 AMG. So it is, as you say, a seriously quick car. But um, it was when the plague hit town. Um, we couldn't go to car shows. And we thought, well, we've got these cars that I'm paying tax for, so we put them on Thorn, and you think, this is, you get to the stage, you think, this is quite crazy. So um, I sold the CL just before we had the first lockdown, um, and that's with a friend of mine, he, he's very happy with it. Um, mainly because I'd had it about 18 months, and I wanted something different, really. And then um, we sold the SL fairly recently, um, we had managed to get to one show in the in the summer, and that was it. 
But um, when I when I bought the Austin Seven last year, that was quite a game changer because you, you, with these old cars, you take the show to the people. Yeah. Because every time you park it, people come up, mm. and so we were getting up with the Austin Seven a lot. And you think this is literally taking the car show to the people, and they were loving it. And, then, and the interesting thing is, you bought the Austin Seven for two reasons. A, you'd always wanted one. And they are an icon of motoring. I mean, yours, 19, little 1933 box saloon. Um, I mean, the Austin 7 was got what got the Brits out and about on the roads. But the, the thing that determined why an Austin 7, it's because it was the only car that would fit in your garage next to all the Mercedes. That's right, because it was only about four foot wide. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually made a little model garage out of cardboard and little model cars, and uh, just in two dimensions. And I thought, that will fit. <laughs> uh, and we, it, came from, uh, it came from South Norfolk, the, um, the, the Austin 7, and it was delivered. And I, and I tried it. Sure enough, it did fit. Great. <laughs> then we had to learn to drive again, because yeah. it was like nothing I'd ever driven. And in fact, you never really stopped learning to drive these old sort of vintage type cars. Well, the one thing about the Austin 70s, and I mean, we'd be fortunate, we've been out in it again this afternoon. Um, Four-speed gearbox. They came in various varieties, depending on what year and what model of Austin 7 you bought. Yours has synchro on three and four, and it's crash on one and two. Um, the brakes. Somebody once laughingly described an Austin 7's brakes as full ABS, anything but stop. Um... And I mean, I think one of the first things you encountered was when you were turning it round. After you and the guy who delivered it had worked out how you actually started one, yeah. uh, you went down a hill to discover that, uh, no, they actually don't stop at all well, don't these? It was worrying, but I did manage to stop with the help of the handbrake. <laughs> I, I have since adjusted the brakes on it. but I just... Well, apparently the first time you adjusted the brakes, you did such a good job of them, it wouldn't reverse back up the drive. No, <laughs> we've got a, a drive that slopes up to the garage and it's even steeper when you go into the garage and it wouldn't have it at all. <laughs> and, and so I had to slacken it off again, which is a shame because they work quite well going forward. But... Yeah. So now it's a nice compromise. They, they, they work about as good as Austin 7 brakes. So the compromise is it reverses all right. Yeah. And uh, with the use of uh, a lot of foot brake, low gears, and as much handbrake as you can actually get out of the lever, it will come to a gentle halt. Yeah, it will. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and the, pe the pedal feels good on it. Yeah. You well, know. it's there. It's there. <laughs> it's there. But, I mean, they're not very big brakes. No, no. It's not a very big car. The surprising thing is, though, when you're in Austin 7, they're actually quite roomy. It's quite incredible. It's like a TARDIS in many ways. Yeah. Perhaps Doctor Who based his TARDIS on the Austin <laughs> 7. <laughs> but, I mean, they're, so, they're just such a novel car, as I said. They got the English to, to drive. Um, besides your standard saloon, I mean, the Austin 7, the specials, I mean, the specials tend to be based on the what you would call the official factory-built car, the Ulster. But the specials are... Uh, people who've taken a, a little saloon with bodywork well past its sell-by date and completely irreparable, put a little two-seater sports body on, and they go under trials, they do all sorts of these little things, and they just never give up, do they? A no. little bit of modification to the engine, and away you go. They usually put a Phoenix crank or something equivalent to that in it. I think they, I think they use Renault big end shells and stuff like this. And lots of modifications, but it's still basically an Austin 7 engine, and I mean, they're getting over 60 out of these things. Yeah, and the other interesting thing is, given the number of, shall we call them traffic calming measures, 
Uh, most cars you have to creep over them to stop the front turrets coming up through the bonnet. The Austin 7s don't really notice them because they were designed for roads that back when they were new, most roads weren't particularly, didn't have a particularly good surface, which no. brings us full circle in 2020 that we now have roads that don't have a good surface. So the Austin 7 is actually one of the perfect cars for driving around modern roads in. It is. You, don't, you literally don't feel the bumps. It's quite incredible. <laughs> we, we've tried it. There's a road near us with sleeping... Well, policemen or whatever you call them. And, well, are they not now police persons? One has to be politically they, correct these days. A police person. They could be. <laughs> um, and you go over it and it's quite incredible. You hardly feel you're doing it. Yeah. Amazing. Then after the Austin 7, uh, you rekindled some of your, uh, no, I won't say your youth, but some of your early motoring because you bought a Series 2A Land Rover, a 1968 model, and... All of a sudden, your enthusiasm for classic Land Rovers has returned with a passion. Well, yes, I, I, it was. It's great. Um, needed a bit of tinkering. To, to, I mean, when I first bought it, I couldn't drive into the drive in one go from the road, and I had to address the stop lock um, bolts. Um, once I'd done that, which was very easy, I could then drive in one continuous go from the road straight up the drive, which was very useful. Um, but. Uh, Previously, I'd owned Series 1 Land Rovers and a very early Range Rover, but sold them about 30-odd years ago. What made you want one back? Nostalgia? Yes, yeah. nostalgia. And um, I thought, well, that's nice. I couldn't think of a reason not to buy it. <laughs> so I bought it. Yeah. I mean, it was a good one. It's on a rebuilt um, as a galvanised <laughs> chassis and all that. So very good. Love it. Great. Um is it, I mean, is it a vehicle you use a lot? I mean, I know you use the Austin 7 a lot. It's become quite a familiar sight around Ross-on-Sea, especially in the supermarket car parks. You go out in the morning or something like that, and away you go in the Austin 7. In the afternoon, you nip out to do a few errands. It's the Land Rover. Can be, yeah. Depends on what order they are parked on in the garage <laughs> and what the mood is. And uh, But it goes out quite a bit, the Land Rover, yeah. yeah. It's good. And then... A few months ago, you fulfilled an ambition because where you grew up was Coventry, was it not? It's born and bred in Coventry, yes. Uh, and you have always had, or had, shall I say, get it correct, Steve, you've always had an urge and a passion to own a Riley. Yes. What is it about Rileys? Well, they, to this day, they still have the annual Coventry Rally, the Riley Register. And as a teenager, my parents took me to it and I thought, these cars are fabulous. And um, I don't, I mean, I went quite a few times. I even bought a badge and a book in 1973, <laughs> and I've still got them. And I didn't really think too much. I had a lifetime of sort of Triumphs and old Jaguars and various cars. And I always assumed that Rileys were very expensive. Um, and not all of them are, it seems. And then, so all these years later, I saw this um, Riley Gamecock, which is an open two-seater with a Riley 9 engine, but it's got the um, factory-uprated twin carburetor engine. It's about um, 1187cc, mm. but it's a very clever engine. It's twin cam. And the camshafts are about... They're not at the top. They're sort of high up in the block, and there's little short push rods that work on them. You've got a hemispherical head on it, Valves at 45 degrees, and this thing was seriously impressive. For It was designed in 1926, I think it was. My car's a 32, about 40 brake horsepower. It doesn't sound a lot now, but for the time it was. 
And um, once once I saw it, I had to have it. And um, you have to get used to the crash gearbox. Yeah, four-speed, no synchromesh on any gear. Nothing, <laughs> no. Very nice gear change. Um, the clutch is... And the other thing, just to confuse you, it's a mirror H pattern. First where third will be, uh, seconds where fourth will be, thirds where first will be, and yes. seconds is where fourth will yes. be. You have to remember you're operating a mirror image of the uh, gearbox gate that you're used to. When you drive it with that, it actually seems more logical. It does actually. I mean, I'll be, I drove it earlier on today, and it's actually a really nice gearbox to drive. Short, actual short gear lever, short throw... I mean, the little Riley Gamecock is a sports car, isn't it? From back in its yeah. day, it was a sports car. It is, and I can fit in it. <laughs> I can't fit in the MGTC type thing. I spent five minutes trying to get in one. <laughs> can't. I'm just too tall for it. My legs just won't go in. But this, <laughs> loads, I've got actually too much leg room. I can't put the seat all the way back. Yeah. So it was designed for well, tall people. And the other interesting thing, when you're out in it... Um, I mean, you just described a lot of the things the the, the Riley Gamecocks en- engine actually has fitted to it, which a lot of modern manufacturers will be boasting, look at what we've done to our car, look at what our engine does. And a lot of the buyers, shall we say, succumb to this marketing, thinking, oh, look at this great new innovation. And this great new innovation came out in 1926. It's just the the old stuff recycled. It is. It's amazing what was developed all those years ago. And and when you drive the Riley, apart from having a non-synchro box, the steering's in the same place, your pedals are in the same place, and the steering feels very good, I think. And it handles quite nicely. And even... and it keeps up with modern traffic. Yes, it will. Yeah, it the, will the, the Austin 7, you, I mean, absolutely, Harry flatters. Downhill, favourable wind, what do they call it? Balls to the wall. <laughs> 49 miles per hour, if you're, on a, if you're doing quite well. The Riley will just potter on at normal speeds up to like 60 and just beyond, won't it? Yes, it will. It will. So you can, it is usable. Yeah. More usable. But uh, it gets a lot of attention. If you, as soon as you park it, it's amazing. The attention you get, as you found out today. Yeah, everybody. That's the one thing about it. Everybody likes vintage cars, don't they? People stop and just want to look at it, or ask questions, or take a photograph of it. People just love these beautiful old vintage cars. They love them because it's not something they see every day. No. Does a Land Rover get the same attention? Um, I'll say the Austin Seven and the Royal is about the same, and the Land Rover a little bit behind. Yeah. Um, people do look at it. Um, I do get the odd person, but it's nothing like the, the Riley and the Austin 7. Yeah. It's amazing. But the one thing about all these vehicles are, you were saying this morning, in comparison to the Mercedes-Benz, these are cars that you have to drive. You, they will do what you want them to do, but you've got to instruct them and make them. You said compared to the Mercedes-Benz, which is like driving a computer game. It's just same like that. It's, it's, it's probably a bit unfair to the Mercedes, because it is a it is a... Um, what is it, 18 years old, but it is a full AMG, so it's, the thing with that is the power of the engine. Yeah, it's just short of 400 brake horsepower. 354, to be yeah. precise, so yeah. So, you know, you've got to drive it with respect, but it is incredibly easy to drive. Yeah. Um, but when you go in a vintage-type car, and to some degree the Land Rover, you've got to steer them properly. Well, the Land Rover, the Land, Land Rover used to steer it in a straight line. They don't, they're not all yeah. fond of straight lines, no, are they, really, Land no. Rovers? <laughs> But it, it's a great satisfying feeling when you get the gear changes right and yeah. it doesn't crunch. 
And you're like, that was a good one. And then you think, well, that wasn't a good one. Um, but it was well, that lovely. seriously wasn't a good one. <laughs> exactly. So uh, the, the Austin is particularly prone to um, being in the right mood for letting you get into a gear or not. Yeah. Sometimes you, you want to get into first. I'm not, I don't want to know. You yeah. just sat there and you think, I'll try and put it into third and that might release it. Don't want to know that either. And then you release the clutch and press it and release it. And sometimes, it, okay, I'll do it. Then. <laughs> By that time you've done that, the lights have changed to red again. Yeah. So, uh, you, so you sit with it in gear and then you don't well, have to go through it again. That's the problem. But you don't really want to sit with it in gear riding the clutch. But what do you do? You know, compromise, isn't it? So, but I mean, it's just interesting. Somebody who's gone from all those Mercedes-Benz. I mean, like the, the CL55 was a true autobahn blaster. I mean, that was designed to travel thousands of miles across continental Europe uh, and with the minimum of effort and input from its driver. And you've gone it, from that to cars that require anything and everything that they do. You have got you you've got to have yeah. a lot of input into them. I mean, the CL was so good, and it had the ABC suspension, so you didn't feel you're going around the bends. You didn't feel you're accelerating. When I bought the C32 Estate, that felt wonderful because you could feel what it was doing. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, well, if I'm going to keep one of these, that'll be the one I keep. Yeah. And I can put the odd lawnmower in the back of one. <laughs> and, and, and nobody knows what it is because it's just a silver estate car. And I love it for that. Yeah. Like you said, it's a, it's a cute car. Yeah. No, nobody knows what it is. But the driving pleasure, go out for a blast in the Riley or the Austin and, you know, you really feel you've accomplished something. Yeah. You know, especially if you manage crunch-free gear changes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... The only, the, only, the only thing that keeps, shall we say, keeps you uh, keeps you on your toes in the Riley and the Austin, and you're constantly pointing this out to me. Uh, one or two of you out there will know I have a Morgan, um, and Morgans actually do come with heaters and uh, hi fi's in them. Uh, it's pointed out on a regular basis to me by Andy. I'm not a serious motorist because even though I drive a Morgan, it's got too many luxuries in it. I mean, that's the one thing with a Riley, etc. The heat comes in from the engine. Eventually. Eventually. Um, I mean, they keep you on your toes by virtue of the fact, like out today, they're definitely chilly to be out and about in, aren't you? You definitely need big jackets on and things like that. Well, you do. It's probably about three, three or four degrees today, I think. Yeah. And um, so it's not the best of times, but we were out there with these old cars. <laughs> uh, it was even raining a bit, but we were drying there. <laughs> I mean, it's the amazing thing. The Riley hasn't got a side screen with it, but with the roof up, and that little bit of heat from the floor mm. coming up, you're all right in it, really. Yeah. It, and it's you really feel you're alive, you know. Great. And the other thing is about vintage cars. I mean, you remember the Vintage Sports Car Club. Um, people might remember that I had Tanya Brown, the secretary of the VSCC, on uh, a few months ago, and the Riley Register and the Austin Seven Clubs. These old cars, and like the, like the Land Rover, these old cars have this very, very enthusiastic and active clubs for them all uh, but everything is more or less available still for these cars isn't it I mean like the Riley you've got John Lomas at Blue Diamond Riley Services and yeah. uh, other such places um, 
Unlike a, 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 a classic and vintage car dealer down south, Robin Lawton, you went on social media and said there was something that you wanted. Did anybody have? And he immediately came back and said, I'll have a route through some of my old box of tackle and send you up what I find. John Lomas, you needed some filters and bits and pieces. Uh, within two or three days, everything you want for these vehicles is there. Yeah, it is. I mean, there will be some certain things which are hard to find, but I think everything to keep them running, especially with a, especially Austin 7... And to some degree, the Riley, they will be out there to, to do it. Yeah. And the knowledge what to do, you know. And the Facebook groups are very helpful for this. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, you ask a question and all of a sudden the answer comes back tenfold as to what you need to do. And the specialists will come back and say, and yeah, and we can supply you with some of that as well if you want. Exactly. So it's, it's wonderful. And there's great camaraderie with these things, you know. Brilliant. <sighs> Um, okay, if you want to, you can take them to a garage to, to be done. But the one thing about the vintage cars is they are so simple. You open the bonnet, and there is, it's like we said, there's at times a very advanced engine. But everything's there. You can work on it. And there's lots of room around it as well. Yeah. I mean, when I've been, um, I was adjusting the brakes on the Riley, and, and to look at it, and there's various rollers that the cables go around. You've got to make sure they're all lubricated. And you undo a wing nut on the floor panel, that's it. Out it comes. There is everything. <laughs> I mean, if you want to look at the gearbox and top it up, all you have to do is lift up the carpet. And there's nothing underneath it except the gearbox. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be easier, really. Yeah. You know. So. Uh, what was interesting, you were saying on the Riley, the, the oil filter is just a big piece of mesh. It's a big piece of mesh. Same on the Austin 7. But when, when the Riley, I thought I'd better do the oil change on it. Because I don't know when it was last done. So I took the sump off. You have to take the whole sump off. Not as hard as it sounds. And um, actually, it was very clean in there. But there wasn't a filter at all. Mm. So, so I ordered one and fitted it. You just put it in. Yeah. And that's it. You have to cut a hole in it for the dipstick and for the, <laughs> the pipe from the oil pump itself. But that was very easy to do. Yeah. And you put it back together with a new gasket and tighten the ring up. And um, that, there you go. Put the new oil in. And they are simple. They're simple to work on. I mean... A few weeks ago, I had Heritage Skills Academy on, and the number of young people that want to learn how to work on old cars. And I think the great thing about them, as you were just saying, they are simple to understand. You can open the bonnet. Everything is there. You're not having to remove God knows how many plastic shrouds, unplug various electrical connectors, hope they've got the right laptop to plug it into and everything else. It's there. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the time, the, the fine adjustment of a lot of these things were with big spanners and such like, weren't they? Yeah, I did buy a set of um, big Whitworth spanners and that, which are very useful. Um, again, that was an, that was an Austin, Austin 7 workshop, I think it's called, over Norfolk Way, and uh, brilliantly helpful chat. Really yeah. great. So, very pleased. So, you've got so many specialists all out there ready to help you. Yeah. And the other thing is, and you follow, shall we say, one of my edicts. I mean, we're chatting here now. I mean, it's a deepest, darkest December at this moment in time. I mean, um, it'll be a couple of weeks before this interview goes out. But you, you, as I said, you use these cars all the time. It doesn't, they don't go under a, under a cover or anything like that, thinking, heaven forfend, they see the winter roads. You get out in them every day, don't you? You just use them. Yeah, I do. Which I didn't do with the Mercedes SL and the CL because they were absolutely mint. And I was somewhat, we were more cautious of them. But to be honest, it, it, it takes the fun out. You think, oh, I, bet, I hadn't better take this out in the rain. I hadn't better take that out in the rain. Um, but these cars, they've lasted 80 odd years. Yeah. 
bit of rain isn't going to hurt them. No, they've seen plenty of it. And uh, when they're <laughs> back, when they're back here, they're in a the garage has got a little heater in it. They've got a dehumidifier going, so yeah. you know it's um, looking after them. Now the other thing is that you're into, of course, are clocks and steam railways. I mean, is, did this come before or after the cars or with the cars? But I mean, your fascination with old mechanical things never ceases, does it? No, yeah, there's a few lawnmowers as well. <laughs> but um, I've always... I've hey, always... By the way, I, I had the British Lawnmower Racing Association did, yeah. a couple of months ago. Yeah. Fascinating lot. Yeah. Um, I got into model railways at a young age, as I think almost every, everyone of my age did with the Hornby Dublo. From there, I progressed to, um, I was into the narrow gauge, I still am, you know, like festing the railway, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I did what was called 009, I've still got some of that. Um, and then I got into the 16 mil scale stuff, which is 16 mil to the foot scale. Yeah. So if you run it on O gauge track, that's exactly two foot gauge, which is the festing the railway. And I've got quite a few live steam models of that. Yeah. Um, still got to build a proper railway in the garden, as I've been saying for many years. I had a temporary one built in the lockdown. But yeah, anybody who follows Andy Jones on uh, social media during the summer months will have seen some of his little steam steam trains chuffing round his. Uh, I mean, you've got quite a sizable garden round the back of the house. You could you could put on quite a big layout, couldn't you? Could. The only problem is it does slope uphill. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's the top of the garden or the bottom of the garden, but it's the higher up bit. Yeah. Um, so railways don't like going up hills. What one in forty is steep on a railway. Have you ever thought of being one of these like mountain railways? Like that could get you. Yes, you could get round that quite nicely by building a. I mean, can you buy these mountain model railways? Um, yeah, I don't know to be honest. I bet you probably can. You can in smaller gauges. I don't know about for outside, but yeah. I'm sure it would have been done. It's great. It's bound to have been done. Yeah. Whatever you can think of, somebody will have done it. <laughs> You can be we can be sure of that, but uh, yeah. So that's got to be done. I did a temporary railway. It was just an oval, but it was too far from the house and it wasn't very level. Yeah, and so that was it. It was a temporary one. So um, proper one's got to be built just out where where we are now, just out the back here. And that spins off from the fact one of the reasons you live in North Wales. Uh, though not at the moment, is you actually have a passion for the real old railways, the full-size ones, the ones you can go and ride around on. I love them. It's great. Um, we've got the Festiniog nearby, not that far away, and you've got the Welsh Highlands. So we usually go on them every year, several yeah. times. Not done it this year. Um, and we, we've got the Llangofflan, which is standard gauge. That's very good as well. Yeah. I like going on that a couple of times a year, but not this year. I mean, it's, it's, it really is a shame what's happened, but it's like I said, the other passion, and um, we are surrounded by them where we're sat, clocks. Yes. I, I um, What it was, that many, many years ago, I wanted a, a long case clock, a grandfather <laughs> clock, um, but they were always very expensive. Mm. But for some reason, a few years ago, brown furniture went out of fashion. Mm. I still love it. Um, and so you could get clocks very cheap in the auction sale. Mm. And the first one, I was not pointing, pointing to it on the radio, but it's just, <laughs> it's, it's just over to me. It's like, the, it's, it's like the famous snooker commentary. For those watching in black and white, uh, the blue is the one next to the pink. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and there it is. It's just over there. I think I paid about 600 for that. And it's a Scottish one with a nice painted dial. It's an eight-day one. Um, and it w did work well. 
Um, I haven't got it going again since I've bought two other sins. <laughs> um, and one was cheaper and one was more expensive, but they're all considerably more expensive, uh, sorry, more cheaper or less expensive than they were many years ago. Yeah. Certain ones are still big money. If it's a certain name, yeah. you know, and then from a certain place, then they will be big money. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> I mean, it's, one of those, it's like also like you have these. I mean, I'm not quite sure what they're called, but they're like this. They look like scaled down grandfather clocks. I mean, the, the smaller ones that like sit on the sideboard. I mean, what are they classed as? What are they called? Mantle, are they? Mantelpiece clocks. Oh, mantelpiece there's clocks. There's two of them are German, and the one in the middle is a, could be French. It's um, <laughs> one in the middle is a slate one, which I bought for my 60th birthday. All right. Yeah. So it does work. Yeah. Right, and uh, do they do they all share things in common with each other? Want a better term? I mean, if you open the one of the grandfather clocks, well, there's grandfather clocks and there's grandmother clocks, which are smaller versions, are they not? Of They're the smaller one. I've got two of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's one thing I know about you. Besides, the, as a friend, you don't do singletons of anything, do you? Not really, no. No, I'm um, just sat there then wondering if there's anything he's bought that he only bought one of. Well, the Austin and the Ryan and the Land Rover, I suppose. But, yeah, uh, but they, they, they all fit a common, they all fit a common mould, really, yeah, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've only got one wife. Yeah. Thank <laughs> <laughs> God for that. <laughs> uh, that's Helen, by the way, who promised faithfully not to say a single word during the course of the interview. Uh, but she said that before in various things, and she always has to join in. Um, I do have quite a few cuckoo clocks. You have a lot of cuckoo clocks. The other thing that we are sat near is we have, it is a reproduction, it, it, it is not a proper one, but we have sat in your conservatory a full-sized SO fuel pump. We have fuel cans. I mean, there is all sorts. I mean, the world of motoring... And all that goes with it is endless, isn't it? Oh, it is. And, and I love collecting the stuff, you know. Yeah. I mean, the fuel pump was an unusual one. That was, it was originally at the auction and it sold for about 400 and I didn't buy it. I thought I didn't want to pay that much when it wasn't real. Mm. And it turned up back at the auction about a month later and I said, oh, it's the same one. And I said, well, did, what happened to it? And they said, well, the person that bought it thought it was a real one mm. and was going to send it to Africa to pump petrol in a village or something. Mm. Then found out it wasn't real. Yeah. Um, so I bought it for 140 quid. <laughs> very, very happy to get it. I mean, well. it does, I mean, it does exactly what it's meant to do. It looks like a fuel pump, and it's a lovely big illuminated globe on top of it. It's actually, a, it's actually what you might call a standard lamp, really, in its own right. It is, yeah. It looks yeah. lovely in the room, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like we said. I mean, your your passion for automobilia extends to the flower. To, you have teapots. You have teapots that look like fuel pumps and cars and yeah. all sorts of things i mean it, it is just endless is your i mean we have a very old vintage fire extinguisher that was a technically designed to go into an old car we have a salt and pepper set designed to look like a pair of petrol pumps it really is endless isn't it it is there's racing racing car there's the model mercedes racing car transporter with a mercedes on the top of it um boxes of stuff you've not even seen up in the loft <laughs> Until I get the display cabinets ready to put them in. Yeah. Cabinet behind you has got there's a, a blower Bentley in there, sat on um, a quite a cheap Triang Land Rover and trailer. Uh, there's all sorts. I just love all this stuff. I mean, where, where do you find all this gear? 
mixture of car boot sales, eBay, um, various antique shops, and that sort of thing. Really, I suppose it makes buying presents for you quite easy, providing it's uh, it, providing it has some tenuous links to motoring your steam trains. It'll do very nicely. Thank you very much, won't it? Well, it will. It's just a question of whether I've already got it or not. <laughs> I mean, actually, I have. I have noticed as time goes by, I find it harder finding things in auctions and car boot sales that I haven't got. Yeah. Um, and How I do you remember what you've got? I don't. <laughs> I quite often buy something twice. <laughs> but, um, I mean, the thing is, I think, where's all this stuff gone? I realise I've already bought it. Yeah. That's why I can't find it out there. I've already got it. Here. <laughs> I mean, lots of people who do what you do, buy and sell. I mean, you've never got... You, you, you've, you've definitely got the hang of the first bit, buy. But you've never quite got the hang of the second bit, no. sell. No, I'm not over keen on selling. <laughs> I mean, I've done car boot sales in the past, but um, the, the problem is you do a car boot sale and, and you, you have a price and, and no one wants to pay it usually. Yeah. Occasionally someone will come up and just buy it, which is great, hmm. but um, usually they don't want to pay it. I mean, it wasn't your great achievement you sold somebody an electric drill that didn't work? No, I don't remember that one. I know. Um, there was a... <laughs> There was the famous walkie-talkies. Oh, that was it, yes. The walkie-talkies that didn't. Well, they, they You worked. might talk, you might walkie, but they didn't do the two together. They, well, they, they did work, but the range was somewhat limited. It was <laughs> not quite as good as shouting. <laughs> this, this, I wouldn't do this now. This was a long, long time ago, about 30 years ago. And um, the, the chap said, what he was going to do, he was going to walk round the field... And he talked to me on it to see how good the range was. Well, yeah. I followed him round. <laughs> and the trick was to get back to the stall before he did. Yeah. He bought them and he seemed happy with them. Never saw him again. <laughs> we couldn't go back to that car boot for a while, but... <laughs> <laughs> now, of all the cars and all the clocks and everything else you've got, what is it you don't have? What is still lacking from the Jones the Car collection? Or Jones the Collector's Collection. What, real car-wise? Well, real car-wise. I'd have to be a vintage Bentley. Yeah. But they're big money. Yeah. And I can't really justify it. I mean, you're talking about 300 grand, aren't you? At upwards. least. At, At least. And upwards. So, yeah. I can't justify it. Yeah. I'd love to. <laughs> but, um, you know, he... Well, the Riley's great. I mean, I've got the Riley at a fraction of the price, and and um, and the Austin. So you've got the you've got the pre-war motoring spirit there. Yeah, so, you know, I'm happy with that really. But a blower Bentley would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm told they're even harder to change gear though. Yes, I, I have driven vintage Bentley, and uh, yes, you a Tory Bugatti described the vintage Bentley. Of course, these were current production cars at the time as the world's fastest truck. Um, when you are in them, they are big. They are serious pieces of machinery. Are the big vintage, the proper Walter Owen Bentley yeah. serious pieces of machinery. I love them. You stand next to them and you think, "Wow, this is just beautiful, isn't it?" <laughs> but I'll make the remodels of them. I think. Yeah. So uh, got to be sensible to some degree, haven't you? Not too sensible. You've got to say not too sensible. It's like I said, when you come to the Jones residence. It's just fascinating what you see as you walk through it from the front door through to the conservatory in the back. Exactly. I've even got my tame pet pigeon that lives in there. <laughs> <laughs> got my tame pigeon. I got my model pub up there. That was an interesting one. That was about 15 quid at the local auction. It's a, it's a homemade model of a pub, complete with people stood outside it. Yeah. 
I mean, I can't... You I, don't see that in Wales these days, do you? No. People sort of outside the pub drinking. I mean, I've got to make sure it's shut at six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and it can't serve alcohol. No. And the problem is, because we're in Wales, there's no such thing as a Scotch egg. No. no I don't know what a Welsh egg looks like. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's the other thing. When we were out about today, all your, especially the Riley and the Austin, it besides them bringing pleasure to you, bring pleasure, it's like you said, you take the show to them, brings enormous pleasure to everybody who sees them. Everybody who walks up and talks to you wants to talk. I mean, we did say we might not say this, but earlier on today we nipped into Conway. Uh, we parked up to just do a quick errand, and when we came back, Mr Salvage Hunter himself, Drew Pritchard, was looking at the Riley Gamecock. And what was his description of the... What a cool car. Seriously cool car. Loved the colour of it, which is black and old English white. Absolutely mm. loved it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was great. So it has, it has the Drew Pritchard seal of approval, does your... Uh, Most definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, what made Andy truly smile was the fact he just looked at me and said, does that make it worth more? Uh, <laughs> Not that I'm selling it. Not that you're selling it, no. I mean, that's the problem. Like we said you don't sell anything. It's it's getting hard to get it. This house was designed for a lot of people to live in. Uh, not that many can get in it now. But no, once again, Andy Jones, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks very much. Whenever Andy and I get together, we always have some entertaining motoring outings around North Wales. And North Wales... Lancashire and Yorkshire. So, but once again, Andy Jones, thanks very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. on price never beaten on service whether it's cars bikes or commercials Hoddy tires are the best in the business and when it comes to tire expertise and advice to supplying the correct tires for your vehicle specific requirements nobody comes close to david lakin and the Hoddy tires team so give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytires.co.uk 